Uh, thank you very much. Um, I, I want to tell you a few, well, no, actually only two of the experiences um, that have impacted my life and others as well. Um, but before we start, I thought I'd give you a bit of a visual, visual um, thing. Um, Joy um, or, or Lucy, um, I, I know both of you. <laughs> and, uh, I know both of you play the flute. Um, uh, can you give us a tune, please? <laughs> So, long, long ago, in a galaxy, <laughs> yes, um, some of you got that. Um, uh, yeah, uh, oh, actually, it was 1994. Uh, I was sitting at the back of a church gathering and um, I was feeling pretty glum. Anyone else uh, ever? Yeah. 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 Sitting in the back is often uh, a means of saying, I am glum, all right? <laughs> um, anyway, um, I, it was very quiet. And then out of the blue, and I really mean out of the blue, God, the God I have committed my life to, got a massive metal stamp and hammered it into my life. And this is what he said. Take your family and go to the Andes of Ecuador. I mean, what? Bizarre. It was out of the blue, and um, frankly, it was so impacting that I either had to do it or more or less retreat in my faith and um, kind of um, like you know, like a snail going into its shell. Um, so. It was a it was a go no go choice, and um, after a brief delay of five years, um, <laughs> well, 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 basically we explored different ways of getting there and you know funding ourselves and so on. Um, in the end, we just went. Now that's a me and Jane, my wife, and four children, um, all six of us with one-way tickets, two weeks booked in a little hostel, no job, enough money probably, and we remortgaged the house 
um, deliberate enough for about six months where I, you know, if I didn't, if I hadn't found a job, we would be stuck. And um, we had various faithful friends, including the Community of Hope Church Basingstoke uh, in the UK, in the UK, backing us with prayer and a few with financial support. I hasten to add, not enough for us to live on. It was just uh, enough to say, God is listening to you. So, all of that, all six, and one sovereign God. Um, so, we, we lived in Quito, the capital of Ecuador, for four years. We had five different houses. We had, well, I had two employers at, at different times. And we had a million dazzling experience, experiences of God's protection, provision, guidance, and especially his compassion for the downtrodden and lonely. So, six lives were changed forever. Well, maybe more than that. Maybe more after today. Um, by the way, I will say I'm skipping over some of these experiences very rapidly. If you have questions about any individual aspect, do by all means ask me. Um, in fact, if, if I finish quickly enough, we might be able to squeeze a couple in. There we? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. He, he's saying yes, but his eyes are saying no. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, yeah, as I say, we have a wealth of stories of God's intervention in our lives. We had a major passport issue, which was dispelled by a large angel who was wearing an orange trouser suit. Uh, we had, um, well, I had a brush with the police after a, what I thought was a very minor driving infraction. Um, yeah. Well, uh, that nearly got me 30 days in, pr in prison. Now, remember, this is Ecuadorian prison, not British prison. There's a big, big difference. Um, I think, actually, I will uh, confess, that was the scared, that was the most scary time I, uh, I've had in my whole life. Uh, <coughs> and then, uh, we, we had a street guard outside our, outside our house um, one time. Uh, and um, uh, we were lying in bed thinking, oh, it must be safe, you know, protected by a guard in the street. And uh, that very night that we were thinking that and saying it to each other, 
um, he, he got a knife and brutally murdered, stabbed multiple times uh, the, the, the woman across the street. So, um, and then, of course, we visited the Amazon rainforest, uh, you know, to see it for ourselves. We met Amazonian tribes people. We ate deep-fried guinea pig, <laughs> local delicacy. We had two occasions where, when um, two, uh, two different volcanoes nearby erupted multiple times. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, and the list goes on and on. Anyway, as far as faith is concerned, I, I just adopted the slogan, uh, actually based on a, a Formula One driver called Mario Andretti. Anyone know of him? Yeah, Mario Andretti. Well, one time he said, if everything's under control, you're going too slow. And, um, uh, and, and that was what I adopted as, as my life. Um, basically, the life of faith for me is like surfing a giant wave that could easily kill you. But instead, when you commit completely to the wave, it will take you faster, higher, and further than you could possibly achieve on your own. That's part one. <laughs> uh, how are we doing for time, Terry? We're down to one question after this. All right. So, four years, yeah, and God guided us back to Basingstoke, and uh, we've been here since then. Um, but what could possibly follow a faith experience like going to Ecuador? Well, in 2004, one year after we returned from Ecuador, there, there were signs that life wasn't going to proceed normally for this particular middle-aged man. My speech began to slur. I began to stumble. Uh, I fell once. Uh, Andy, Andy Windsor, do you remember that? Where is he? Uh, Andy, do you remember a time I tried to step over a wire, took a tumble, broke some ribs? Yeah, yeah. Andy was watching. <laughs> I, I, I don't think his feet were anywhere near mine. So. No, it wasn't a case of tripping me up. <laughs> so anyway, I, I got to an appointment with a speech and language therapist, and they recognized something was wrong and said, neurologist. So 
that became three days in Southampton Hospital and a diagnosis of motor neuron disease. And there have been some high-profile cases of this. Um, Stephen Hawking, uh, Doddy Weir, um, Rob Burrow, uh, yeah. Um, oh, uh, even, um, who was that actor? Um, David Niven, that's right, yeah. So, motor known disease, a few years of decline, incurable, inexorable, and then death. Quite, quite a challenge if you believe that God heals and that God answers prayer. Anyway, we, we were astonished, Jane and I, at the sheer number of people that, and the compassionate prayer that went, on up, went up on our behalf, including a group that we had no idea. We'd never met them, but they prayed over a little hanky and posted it to us from somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, of course, our friends here prayed. Um, anyway, the expected decline, well, obviously, I'm, I'm here now, so I, uh, I, I'm not a ghost or anything. Um, <laughs> <coughs> the expected decline didn't materialize, and um, that, I think, is probably enough of an answer to prayer to shake anyone's non-belief. Non However, I still had to say goodbye to a lot of stuff, like walking, obviously, singing. Singing is one of my, was one of my greatest joys. Um, DIY, guitar, so many things. It, it, it just touches all sorts of areas of life. You have no idea. How, how do you cope with a, a disease like this? And God not healing. Well, I adopted another slogan. You, you know the old thing about glass half empty, glass half full? Well, my, my new slogan is, if your glass it seems half empty, get a smaller glass. <laughs> In other words, don't spend time gazing at what you've lost. Instead, look at what you still got. It's I mean, especially the prospect of eternal life you know, with our Saviour in heaven. Goodness me. And permanent healing, complete healing. That, that's, that's where my faith is. Not that not the life's easy. Uh, um, I had a hard time uh, a couple of years ago 
when I could no longer trust myself to go up and down stairs and um, had, her, had to sleep downstairs, separate from my wife, and uh, yeah, tough. What, what, I mean, what's next? You know, the disease is progressing downwards. What's next? Well, I don't know. But I do know who does know, and I'll stick close with him. Does anybody have a, a question? How do you do it? How do I do what? <laughs> I, I, all I can do is point to Jesus. That was, wasn't it? Father, we want to thank you for Simon and the fact that he is here among us. We thank you, Lord, that he brings such inspiration, encouragement, and life into our lives. Lord, may this long continue. Father, provide for him in all the aspects of his life, not just with the motor neurons disease, Lord, but in all aspects of his life. And may, may he continue to, to glorify you, and may he continue to lift you up. May he continue to walk with you, uh, and may your presence bless him, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. Okay, we have... Oh. Yes, we have uh, one more testimony uh, from Andy Taylor. So, Andy. Thank you, thank you. I would, I would like to say about Simon that um, the fact that he had that motoring conviction or whatever it was, it would probably have been quite good that he's no longer able to drive. We did visit him in Ecuador. It was hairy going around in his car. <laughs> Lesson. Um, I just wanted to share a few things that, that just come together. First of all, one was that um, before COVID, we used to have here what we called a prophetic development group. It was a group of people who were prophetic and we'd meet occasionally to encourage and stir one another up. And it sort of fall, fell apart during COVID and um, we obviously didn't meet much. Um, and we were looking at, you know, rebooting this. And um, late last summer, I sat down with Linda Lucas and we were talking about what should we do and we came to the conclusion that rather than just gather this group of prophets and prophetic people, that we should have an event where people can come along and be re-envisioned in the whole area of, of prophecy, basically. Um, and, you know, there are those who, who do regularly, you see them on a Sunday morning, 
coming and prophesying, but there are those who you don't hear but might like to have a go. So we did that, and I was said to Linda, you know, who do you think we could bring down to speak? And she mentioned a lady she'd been building a friendship with called Deborah Green. Now, I don't know if you, that name rings a bell to anybody, but I knew of Deborah as a lady that oversees a whole network of, um, across the UK of um, community projects all over the place. She, and this, this network is quite huge. Um, I didn't quite know why Linda suggested she came and led a prophetic sort of workshop thing. Um, but anyway, we a few months back, she said to Linda she'd be happy to come here. Now that's good because she is a national speaker. She's on the board of Spring Harvest. She always speaks, you know, she's a, a main speaker in Spring Harvest. So quite a busy lady. And uh, anyway, she said she'd come down. So um, a few weeks back, we, uh, Linda, Diane and I, travelled up to Manchester to go and, and just talk things through with her and see what, what we might do. What I didn't know about, um, about Deborah was that she is a, a, a great woman of prayer. She and her husband have, in Manchester, have uh, mobilised prayer in so many places. I, I remember one story, I've got a book here that they talk about it. One, they decided that they'd have a big prayer meeting at the velodrome, the, the Olympic velodrome in Manchester. And they went to the guy who runs it and said, um, uh, can, we, can we hire some space? in the, in the, the velodrome, and he said, um, uh, yeah, okay, how, uh, how much do you want? You know, a room, two rooms, she said. We want the whole building. And he said, he was so taken aback, he said, um, okay, you can have it for free. And they, they filled this velodrome with people praying, and um, lots of stories like that. So um, at the same time as this was going on, we began our series on, um, on what we called Immeasurably More, right? and uh, we've been running that since Christmas. And uh, the very first session, uh, Terry ran a little bit of a video, a snippet of a guy, he mentioned it last week, I think, when he was finishing the series, this guy, Tim Mackay, who is a self-confessed Bible nerd. He, he calls himself a Bible nerd. He loves the Bible. But he was, he was speaking at the annual conference of 24-7 prayer uh, last autumn. And he was saying, look, I, I, I'm a Bible nerd. And he says, I do pray. But he says, I have to admit that I do often think, does it make any difference? And... Uh, he, he was saying how, and then he did go on, if you saw the rest of the video, he was saying how God b began to change his mind. And I went, don't, go in, don't need to go in that. But I, I was challenged at that point by, um, we, we, we've got this scripture from, from Ephesians saying, you know, unto him who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And... My experience, and I don't know whether you would identify that, is, to be honest, sometimes it is disappointingly less. Okay? We, we hope for a lot, but what we get isn't quite what we hope for. And I wanted to 
I, I just said, I said to several, I don't want to just go through this series and, and have a nice teaching series and come out of it with the same. I want to grasp this. So you've got these things coming together and, and then we went to see, um, we went to see Deborah. Now, just before we went there, I was reading, uh, I was reading my Bible, which I do now and again. And uh, I was reading in 1 Chronicles, and uh, this is 1 Chronicles 25. Now, it's, it's at that point in 1 Chronicles, David is coming to the end of his reign, and he's uh, preparing the, the everything to hand on to Solomon. He's all the temple practices and things, all the, he couldn't, he, it was because God wouldn't let him build the temple, he got all the materials ready for Solomon. And if you read this bit in, in it's not one of the most inspiring parts because it's all the lists and names of people who, you know, the, the, the Levites and their families and all that, you know. It's usually when you get to this, you think, oh, okay, I better read this, you know. Um, but I read this in 1 Chronicles 25. It says, David, together with the commanders of the army, set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Haman and Jeduthun for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres and cymbals. And it goes on to say, the sons of Asaph were under the supervision of Asaph who prophesied under the king's supervision. And then it says, as for Jeduthun and his sons, Gedaliah, Zeri, Jeshiah, Shimei, Hashabiah and Mattathiah, six in all, under the supervision of their father, Jeduthun, who prophesied using the harp. And I started, and this just caught my attention, and said, well, these, these were musicians. These, these were musicians who, uh, who would play in the temple. What does it mean when it says they were commissioned to prophesy? And, um, and it also caught my attention. It says to David, together with the commanders of the army, set these people apart. And I thought, well, why the commanders of the army? Why would he... That, you know, that doesn't seem the obvious choice of people to be talking about people in the temple worship. So I was, I was asking these questions and, and it began... God began, I felt God begin to say to me, you know, look, there is something holistic here. These guys, they were playing their instruments. They probably weren't just playing hymns. They were allowing the, the instruments to, you know, letting God speak. And, and out of that, they were setting a tone, a, a, a tone of worship through which the word of God was coming forth. Okay, so there was something about the worship people bringing forth the prophetic word of God. And then I began to think, if they were bringing God's word and the, and, and the, the nation of Israel was listening to them, and they were doing what God was telling them to do. They were going to be prosper, weren't they? So the army, the commanders of the army, would be very happy because they would only do the things that God told them to do rather than what seemed like a good idea at the time. And um, I began to think in the church, you know, we have the worship team here, we have the prayer people over here, We've got the people who go out and do all the, the work, the good, the good work in the social action, food bank, homeless, 
all that stuff, but somehow they're separate. I felt what God was saying to us was we need to be much more holistic in the way we approach things so that the worship team and the prayer team and the prophets are working together and the worship sets a tone for the word of God to come forth. Sorry about that, I'm preaching, aren't I? But, um, but, the, re- but the reason is that then we went up to Manchester to go and see Deborah. And I didn't realise that this lady, Deborah, you don't talk with her for more than a few minutes, then she's into prayer and prophecy. She's constantly in prayer. And, um, this, the, and then you begin to see what God's done through her. We, we met her in a building called The Fuse. Now, The Fuse is a, a building that's about 10 years old. It's like an industrial warehouse, but it's a bit... It's a bit um, odd because the windows are deliberately sort of set at angles and it's, got, it's, it's a bit quirky. But she had this building and apparently it was a, f- a community facility built by the local council. And I don't know what happened, but they, they came along to Deborah after two years and said, would you please have this building and run it for us? Now, they didn't actually say, would you run it? They gave it to her. So suddenly she had this huge building. Now this building has in it a theatre with, with upholstered seats that all sort of will go sort of fold back into the walls. It has a, a sports hall. It has a sound studio which the BBC hire for their, their programmes. It has outside, it has an all-weather football pitch and an all-weather basketball pitch and Salford City Football Club use that as their training ground. So they also have changing rooms and all that. The place is run for food bank, it's run, it just, it is just an amazing place. And it was given to her in order to use for the community. And, you know, this is stunning, you know. And I began to get a glimpse, this is, this is a bit beyond what I'm asking or thinking. And we spent a day with her and uh, we, we, we saw some other projects and I can go, I could, won't go into those now, but some amazing things going on. And I saw, you know, people who come to Christ were being transformed in their lives and now running for these projects, you know, great stuff. So, um, uh, so we, we had a great time and then we, we ended up with a prayer meeting online with people from Redeeming Our Communities all over the UK. And they started praying and prophesying over Basingstoke and, uh, you know, he, he, I, I won't go into that either, but even one of those things that they started prophesying has begun to come into, you know, at least begun to, hey, things might be happening here. So, the reason I've said all that is, um, I, I just want to say that this, this is one of their books she writes with her husband, her husband Frank, called City Changing Prayer. They believe that, we, that in prayer we can change our cities. And they've done a lot in Manchester, so much. And... Uh, when they, when they come here, they're not... To them, Basingstoke's a city. You know, we know it's a town, but they, they're saying it's a city and they are quite excited and they want to see our city transformed. So that's all leading up to uh, an event which we're holding six weeks' time. It's the um, 10th and 11th, Saturday, Sunday. 10th and 11th of June... Deborah Green's coming down with her husband, Frank, and son, Joshua. Haven't met Joshua, but I, 
He's, he's a young man, works with youth, um, and, and he is a, a bit of a firebrand. Uh, he, he was, uh, he's been off, he went off to Asbury University and spent some time there when, when that prayer meeting went on. He's quite an amazing guy. They're coming down, and uh, we've got some events, and I, I, you know, I'd love you to get inspired. We're going to start off with a prayer, prayer prophetic workshop on Saturday afternoon, 2 till 5. Um, and this is going to be for anybody who, if you, you may be a prophet, you may have prophesied, you may have never prophesied in your life, but are intrigued by it. It's about coming together and being, and, and being stimulated in, and equipped to, to, to speak the word of God. We can all do it, and if you want to come along, it won't be a lot of sitting down listening to Bible teaching. It'll be much more getting on and actually doing it, and, and I encourage any of you to come to that. that, that you'll have to book for that because we want to make sure that you know, that, that it, you know, the people who come really do want to do this. You'll need to book for that. Sunday morning, Deborah's going to come and speak here. Uh, Sunday afternoon, she's going to speak at Hub Church. Sunday evening, she's coming back here, and we're going to have a, a, a one-church Basingstoke sort of celebration, outreach, proclamation thingy uh, here, and her son will be at that and we want the youth to come to that because he, he's particularly interested in equipping the young people so I, I the reason I wanted to share that sorry if I've gone on a while is I think God's onto something here I God's on the move and I, I want us to move from disappointingly less to immeasurably more and um, you know I'm not saying this is going to be the be all and end all but you know will you come on this journey with with us, you know, and, and, and uh, begin to see our city transformed in so many ways.